Welcome to Inside Groove, the only motorsports show where super modifieds are king. Methanol is aromatic and the drivers carry their balls in a bag. Inside Groove is powered by IPC Indy, creating performance parts and solutions for the automotive, aerospace and communications industries. Here's your host and fellow superholic, Tom Baker. Hello everyone, welcome to Inside Groove 1972 Season Rewind, race number three. My name is Tom Baker, and this is the first standalone version of our 72 Season Rewind uh, segment that we are going to be producing here through Steering Wheel Nation. And as part of the Inside Groove content mix, and there is going to be no discussion other than what pertains to the 1972 racing season on this particular show. It is all about what happened on week number three in 1972. And again, uh, we have done the first two weeks within the confines of full Inside Groove shows. You can go back and find those um, on Steering Wheel Nation. Just go through the playlist that's on the homepage under the player and you'll find them. But uh, this is the first standalone that we have done, and we've got a great week of racing to talk about. Let's take a moment and go back and talk about what was going on in 1972 at the Oswego Speedway. First of all, we can set the table by saying that in the 72 season, it was kind of right in the midst of that transition from the upright or cut down type super modifieds of the 1960s to the roadster type super modifieds that became so prevalent in 19 in the 1970s or the late 60s really Todd Gibson with his Flintstone Flyer Zero which was an ex-Indy car roadster um, and you had other drivers who were building their own uh, roadster kind of cars by then uh, and so as we get to 1972, it is coming off of a year in which Nolan Swift was still basically the dominant force. And um, but Jimmy Champagne was becoming he was this was kind of Jimmy was on the upscale upslide, I guess you will, or the, the up climb, however you want to say that um, he was trending up. Nolan was still at his peak. And you had so many other drivers that were really, really competitive and that made the 1970s, in my opinion, the greatest era ever of super modified racing. And here we are going to see even more evidence of that as you start to get into the early 70s. And you'll see this throughout 72 and eventually we'll obviously get into 73, 74. Doing these as standalones is going to allow me, as we get further into the calendar year, um, to start batch recording some of these, and then we'll just release them. Um, and you'll be able to, we'll be able to make a little quicker progress moving through the seasons. But um, 1972, this was week number three, and here's the headline and thanks to kevin timmons by the way for the help with the program pages that we're reading from here the oswego speedway eagle this is uh, norm mackrath on the cover by the way of this program and you open it and here's the race recap 
Baker and Graves split twin 50s. So again, we start right off here. We talked about Nolan Swift. We talked about Jimmy Champagne. Neither of them are the winners here. Here's two drivers, one a veteran and one a young driver who was, was just starting to make his presence felt uh, that picked up the win on this particular week. Twin 50 lap features. Here's what it says. Baldy Baker of Stroudsburg, Ohio and Freddie Graves of nearby Central Square each sported one feature win in last Saturday night's Twin 50s features here at the Oswego Speedway. Baldy brought the 93 home first in the first feature, while Fred drove the 37 to the top spot in the second 50-lap segment. But the overall big winner of the night was Baldy, with a first and a second place finish for his night's work, totaling over $1,675 for the popular Ohio throttler. At the outset of the first 50-lapper, Baldy, starting from the pole position, blasted off to a large lead, leaving the rest of the pack fighting away for second spot. Freddie Graves came along and took over second, but midway through the feature, Fred tangled with a lap car on the front chute, resulting in the 37 spinning wildly down into the first turn where Freddie tapped the outside wall. He was towed to the pits to make repairs. This left Don McLaren and Jimmy Champagne fighting away for second as even on the restart, neither driver could muster any challenge to Baker. When the checkered came down, Baldy held a good straightaway lead over McLaren, who finished second, and the eight ball of Champagne, who took third. Jim Cheney piloted the Holinsky Car 19 to a fine fourth place finish with Bob Stelder rounding out the top five in the Solvay Car 04. The second 50-lapper proved to be much more exciting. There was the usual scramble to the front after Norm Bacon dropped the green flag and coming quickly up through the field was Jim Champagne in his eight ball. Not too far behind was Fred Graves while Jim Cheney, Don McLaren, Kempton Dates, and Baldy Baker put on a fine battle for third. As the race wore on, Champagne seemed to have everything well in hand holding a comfortable lead over the rest of the field. But Champagne began smoking very badly, and it was apparent that the popular clay ace was losing oil, and the eight ball was black flagged to the pit area, and thus the lead was given to Graves. Fred held on to take the win, while Baldy came charging through for a fine second-place finish. Don McLaren put the Ed Bowley car five in for third, with Jim Cheney again taking fourth and fifth spot, going to the 28 of Kempton Dates. The official order of finish. For the first feature, Baldy Baker in the 93 won it. Second was Don McLaren in the Flying Five. Third was Jim Champagne in the eight. Fourth, the 19 of Jim Cheney. Fifth, the 04 of Bobby Stelter. Sixth, the 99 of Jeff Bodine. Seventh, the 17 of Bernie Grant. Eighth, the 72 of Doug Sire. Ninth was the 80 of Ron Madison. Tenth that was the 44 of Daryl Peckham. That's a good run for Daryl, by the way. Eleventh was the 24 of Bill Rouse. Twelfth, the 28 of Kempton Dates. Thirteenth, the 85 of Russ Gray. Fourteenth was Bob Seelman from Michigan in the 74. Fifteenth was the 23 of Jim Muldoon. Sixteenth, the 4 of Tom Rose. Seventeenth was the 37 of Freddie Graves. Eighteenth, the 36 of Ram Buckner. 19th and 96 of Danny Wheeler. 20th was the number nine of John Clapham. 21st was the 33 of George Boss. 
22nd was the 77 of Dom Mucho and Ray Sand in the 16 rounding out the field. In the second feature, the winner was the 37 of Fred Graves. Second was the 93 of Baldy Baker. Third, the 5 of Dom McLaren. Fourth was the 19 of Jim Cheney. Finishing fifth, the 28 of Kemp Dates. Sixth was the 72 of Doug Sire. Seventh was the 17 of Bernie Grant. Eighth was the 85 of Russ Gray. Ninth was the 96 of Den Wheeler. Tenth was the four of Tommy Rose. Eleventh was the sweet 16 of Ray Sand. Twelfth was the 80 of Ron Madison. Thirteenth, the 44, Daryl Peckham. Fourteenth, the eight of Jim Champagne. Fifteenth, the 99 of Jeff Bodine. Sixteenth, the 24, Bill Rouse. Seventeenth was the 36 of Ron Buckner. Eighteenth, the 04 of Bobby Stelter. Nineteenth, the nine of John Clapham. 20th, the 25, Crosby, 21st, the 77 of Don Muccio, and 22nd was the 23 of Jim Muldoon. The Heats were won by Baldy Baker, Jim Cheney, and Freddie Graves with consolation honors going to John Clapham, and that's how it went uh, the third week of the 1972 season in terms of the race recap. We'll have some discussion about some of that and much more in terms of what was going on in 1972 at that time right after this. Stay with us as Inside Groove 1972 Season Rewind continues after this. Experience the age-old Irish hospitality at LaGroff's Pub and Grill, Oswego's premier local spot to grab a cold one and cheer on your favorite sports teams. Stop in for an ice cold beer alongside some exceptional pub fare. Burgers, wings, chicken sandwiches, Philly cheesesteaks, soups, and more. You want it, they've got it. Served up with more than 40 years of awesome customer service. Have a friendly game of darts against players from across the world. That's right, players from across the world. Where else? In Oswego, can you go to play darts against somebody from across the world? That's crazy. Watch the games on their eight big screen TVs or just relax at Oswego's Neighborhood Bar and Grill, LaGroff's Pub, 187 East 10th Street in Oswego. Check them out on LaGroff's.com. Okay, folks, I want to tell you about one of our sponsors here on Inside Groove, Indie Performance Composites. They're a premier composite design and manufacturing company creating performance parts and solutions for the automotive, aerospace, and communications industries. Jeff West and his team are amazing. They do all kinds of work in the motorsports industry from dirt tracks to NASCAR to IndyCar, super modifieds. It doesn't matter if you've got something that you need designed or fabricated. Let them help you transform your idea, your vision and your budget into a workable, high performance solution. They have all kinds of services from 3D printing to finishing services, end-to-end composite solutions is what they are. Check them out, ipcindy.com or indieperformancecompositesinc.com and tell them that the folks from Inside Groove set you. Welcome back to the Inside Groove 72 Season Rewind Race Number 3, Baldy Baker. 
and Freddie Graves, a veteran and a young driver on the rise, splitting the twin 50-lap features in the third week of the 1972 racing season. And just looking over the field in that year, if you just think about again where we were in Oswego Speedway and Supermodified history, we were going into, again, what I considered to be the salad years, the greatest decade in supermodified racing in so many ways for so many reasons. And just thinking about the cars, you know, you had the Miles Barker 93. It's an ex-IndyCar Roadster with what I think was an actual bolt-on roll cage on that car. Um, Baldy, that car just was so competitive for so many years with different drivers. Baldy had his greatest success of his career in it. And you've got the Corb 37 uh, that was that made Freddie Graves famous, I would argue. And uh, Freddie actually probably doing, in fact, he was the only one to win in that car. Uh, those are two cars that I think a lot of people, a lot of longtime Oswego Speedway fans would consider to be among their favorite cars of that decade. And, you know, thinking about Don McLaren, who was one of the big boys from New England, literally and figuratively, Big Daddy in the Flying Five for Ed Bolly and the just the iconic Flying Five paint job of that year with the stars and the stripes. And, and, and that continued, um, you know, really well into that decade uh, they changed the look a little bit, but for the most part, it was very sort of American looking and uh, X-Swift car, by the way. Uh, the Champagne 8 Ball, we don't even need to talk about that. Um, that was the, the the Wedge car that originally started as the Wedge back in the late 60s and became the Roadster that he won, I think, about 55 out of his 87 features with. Um, just coming into his decade of dominance was Jimmy Champagne at that point. Um, you know, again, Jim Cheney and the iconic Holinsky 19, the woodshed 04 of Bobby Stelter, uh, the rear engine 99 X Indy car of Jeb Bodine. Y you can keep going through the field and some of the drivers that, you know, at that time, who knew that Ron Buckner, for example, would go on to be one of the top car owners of the 1970s and all of the success that he and Bobby Stelter and Chuck Siprich would have together. John Clapham out of Canada driving for uh, Steve Joya Sr. in the nine car, although, as we'll learn in a minute, this was the last week that John drove for him, um, you know, and, and you had drivers like Bill Crosby in the 25 who uh, really only raced for a very short time. But again, part of that, that great season that 1972 was as we get to the Ivor, the driver report and keep in mind, if for those of you who don't know, Ivor, the driver in the program of old, Ivor was the gossip columnist. That's where you went to find out what was going on, what the rumors were, what the news was. And Ivor always picked the the races. He would pick the top five. So that was first place I always went when I bought a program. So here's what Ivor had to say. Again, this is week uh, four. The program's week four. 
The racing was from the week before, of course. It's week three. This is the fourth program of the year. Wouldn't you know it, Ivor says. A big race and a shortage of cars. Then to top that off, a lot of mechanical breakdowns and heat race problems. Todd Gibson is having his engine problems this season. Last week he blew at Sandusky, then blew again in a midweek show. Hope he gets the hang of things and starts to run like the Gibson we used to know. It is reported that the 07 will be here tonight with John Spencer at the wheel. Joe Haluka is rebuilding the 06 for Warren Conium, and they'll be here anytime. Expect to see Brian Osgood anytime now. He should be a good runner. It's rumor time again, and here's a good one. Now check this out, folks. Again, this is 1972, and it's the actually the fourth week of the season. Nolan Swift will hang up the helmet and turn the driving chores over to Bentley Warren. How interesting is that? Four weeks into the 1972 season, the most dominant driver in the supermodified division up to that point, Nolan Swift, the man who built a Swiggo Speedway in terms of the, the driving part of it and the success part of it, talking about turning the driving chores of the 10 pins over to Bentley Warren. Now, Bentley, I believe at this point, was uh, involved at, at Indy and with Indy cars by this point. And Bentley, again, later on, in 1976, Dave Snyder from the Syracuse area would buy Nolan Swift's car, not the one. Oh, actually, it is the one. Now that I think about this, um, I believe that this is the same car. Would buy this car for Bentley, and uh, maybe it wasn't. I guess it wasn't. Now that I think about it, it wasn't the same car. It was the predecessor to the car that Dave Snyder would buy for Bentley. But imagine how this rumor in Ivor's column would sort of kind of come true a few years later. It wouldn't be exactly as Ivor was reciting it, but just interesting how some sometimes you get that little bit of foreshadow. Bentley had driven for Nolan a couple times. Nolan always respected Bentley. So imagine what could have happened knowing how Bentley's career had gone up to that point in Supers with all the success in the Dave Speedcat car, in the Little Deuce, you know, so many different cars that he drove. And Bentley, even at that point, a lot of people felt was one of the best in the country. And what would have happened? How would a Swigo Speedway history have actually changed and been different if Bentley Warren would have taken over the driving chores of the 10 pins back in 1972? Wow. We continue on with Ivor the Driver report. John Clapham has left the number nine for a late model ride in Canada. Expect to see Wayne Landon at the wheel of the Joya machine again. If I had to predict a track champion for 1972, it would be Jim Champagne in the eight ball. And he was right. Despite his problems the last two weeks with his oil pan, the car's handling real well and appears to be a little bit quicker in traffic than his nearest competitors. 
Baldy Baker continues to dominate Sandusky Speedway as well as winning their John Cock Memorial Race. Skip Manning showed at this race with a new roadster. It really went. Ivers' predictions for the following week. One, Jimmy Champagne. Two, Norm Macrath. Three, Baldy Baker. Four, Kenny Andrews. And five, Freddie Graves. We'll move on now to the editorial that was in the program that week. I believe George Caruso Jr. was responsible for both of these, by the way. I know that he was Ivor the driver, um, and I believe he always wrote the editorials too. So here we go. Last Saturday was announced that first place money for a regular 45-lap feature here at the Oswego Speedway would be raised from... $1,225 to a whopping $1,500 starting tonight. Now think about that. 50 years ago, it was $1,500 to win a super modified race at the Oswego Speedway. Not hard to see why. If you think about what that would have been in terms of the dollar value in 1972, when you could get a steak at the Speedway restaurant for about three bucks. It's not hard to imagine uh, why we had so many cars. Uh, I believe this first place money represents the highest paid anywhere in the United States. I'm going to read that again. I believe this first place money represents the highest paid anywhere in the United States. Now, I'm assuming that this was highest short track purse of anything, not just of supers, but I could be wrong. It doesn't specifically say it should make for some exciting racing as the drop to first from first to second is $700. Now, we could talk about that a little bit, too, because one of the theories I've always had about structuring a purse in motorsports is that the more money that you put at the back versus, you know, the big money to win, the better, because that makes it easier for every driver to show up and race versus only one driver getting most of the money. And so here we see a little bit of, I mean, you're basically talking about a, over a 50% drop in prize money from first just to second, right? So again, just interesting to think about that. Starting tonight and for the rest of the summer until September rain dates for the Saturday night shows will be Sunday night starting at 7 Hopefully, we'll never have to run a rain date in 72, but if it does rain on Saturday night, we'll at least salvage the show for that week. Now, I believe at that time, Sandusky ran on Sundays, and I think back in those days, there were some of the Ohio drivers that weren't real happy with the rain dates because it uh, it messed up their opportunity to go race at Sandusky. And so um, I'm not sure that was entirely popular, but I, I just think for the fans, the rain date makes sense. Our next special event occurs two weeks from tonight with the running of the 75-lap spring championship, a double-point 75-lap feature. Remember? Double points. Remember? That, that, that was, those races were fierce. Increased purse and trophies for all winners will highlight the night. Now, this is something I wish I could have seen, but I was just too young, and, and my parents never took me. Don't forget the first of our Wednesday night modified sportsman specials comes off on July 12th. Interest in these shows is running very high and we should see some great racing. Now think about that as well. And I would like to call your attention. Those of you 
who enjoy listening to podcasts like this, I have a great suggestion for you. Go to Dirty Mo, M-O, DirtyMoMedia.com. That's Dale Jr.'s media company, by the way. And Dirty Mo is his nickname for, for Mooresville, North Carolina, by the way. That's, it's, that's where, if you, wonder, if you ever wondered where Dirty Mo came from, there's only nothing off color about it. It's just his nickname, teenage nickname. When he was a, when he was a kid, they used to, when he was in high school, they used to call, call it Dirty Mo. Um, so Dirty Mo Media. And uh, there is a series that's just launched. Now, what Dale's doing with his uh, media is basically what I've always wanted to do. And we are doing with Steering Wheel. Just obviously he has more resources for the moment, but um, we're working on that. And there's there's a lot of interesting things developing, by the way, that we'll tell you about later on a different show. But the... um, he's a they're great storytellers all of all of the stuff on dirty mo is orientated toward feature content and storytelling and a new series has popped up andrew kirkland i believe is the the young man's name that hosts it and he is this is a long form interview series where they they actually are following uh the same uh protocol that many of us are now going with our podcast, which is to release it in shorter segments. And the first series is with Ken Squire, who is the legendary race announcer who made basically was really instrumental. And I don't think a lot of people know this, but you know, Ken wasn't just the, uh, the announcer on the earliest NASCAR broadcast, but he was very instrumental in helping them and really pushing for them to happen in the first place. But Ken also was the gentleman who started Thunder Road Speedway in Vermont. And I'm not going to tell the whole story because um, I want you to I'd love for you to go listen to it. It endlessly fascinated me. I was on my way. I was on a tr- road trip last weekend and, and that was my companion. I, I basically went through all of the the listens, all of the episodes. Um, but he talks about his reason for choosing Thursday night as their race date. And you should all go check it out. It's really, really fascinating. And I learned a lot listening to Ken. Um, I think it's a great series. So again, back to the editorial. Don't forget the first of our Wednesday night modified sportsman specials comes off on July the 12th. Interest in these shows is running very high and we should see some great racing. We'd like to call everyone's attention to the wanton and needless destruction of private property by many of the boys who come to the speedway on Saturday nights. The management will not tolerate this needless destruction of property and anyone caught in the act will be turned over to the proper authorities and charges will be pressed. So there you go. Straight to the point. John Hill had some racing highlights. And again, this column was more orientated toward what was going on in uh, IndyCar racing at the time. So it was still under USAC's uh, uh, sanction at that time. So here we go. Of the three former Oswego Speedway supermodified drivers entered in this year's Indy 500, Sammy Sessions fared the best. Sam, still of Nashville, Michigan, didn't know there was such a thing, 
raised his Lola Ford to a fourth place finish, his best 500 performance on Saturday. Gordon Johncock, another former Michigan supermodified driver who, along with Sessions, raced here in the 1960s, had nothing but trouble all month long. He blew his fifth engine in the month in his Gulf McLaren Offenhauser during the 500 that left him in the 21st position. Bay Stater Bentley Warren didn't qualify for the race with his own Eagle Offie because a fuel line inside a tank broke, cutting the engine's fuel supply. He's currently seeking another ride for this weekend's Milwaukee 150. He will also drive Howard Purdy's Ford Sprinter in the new USAC team. Now, there's there's an interesting thought, and I had totally forgotten that Howard owns Sprint cars in addition to the Little Deuce Super, which is currently being restored. Thank you, Lord. Um, so that's interesting to know that um, Bentley was going to run that Sprint car back then. Sessions drove one of Gene White's Firestone Stores cars as a teammate to Lloyd Ruby and Kale Yarborough. Remember back in the day, and it was in 72, 73, maybe up to about 75, perhaps, where the Allison brothers, Donnie and Bobby, and Kale, uh, and I think there may have been one or two others, used to run both NASCAR and select IndyCar starts, especially the 500. Uh, it, it, continuing on. Not bad for the third member of the team. Um, Ruby finished seventh and Kale 10th. Not bad for the third member of the team. It is not likely, however, that Sam will drive the car in any more races. Currently third in USAC Sprint Car Division, driving at Maury Emmerling's Chevy. Sammy is hoping to cop that division's elusive national title. So Sammy apparently is going to focus on the uh, Sprint Car Division rather than the Indy Cars. That season, John Cock will continue to drive for the Rich McLaren Cars Limited of England in USAC's championship trail. That was what they called the Indy Cars at that time. He will also team with A.J. Foyt and Crocky Peterson. There's an interesting racing name. Crocky Peterson to drive a Dodge for Indiana's Ray Nichols in USAC's stock car circuit later in the season. Next week... Uh, again, his little teaser at the end of this column, John Hill says next week, Indy Racer building a car for Oswego. So I guess we'll find out more about that when we get there. Ed Bowie, car owner and mechanic. This week's mechanic story also acknowledges one of Supermodified's finest car owners. He's the man who has been bringing us the famous Flying Five over the past decade, Ed Bowie of Tewksbury, Massachusetts. Ed and his wife, Margaret, have two children, Thomas and Susan. Ed first became interested in racing back about 1948 when he began working on a race car which competed around the Massachusetts Ovals. By 1954, he owned his unique, he owned his own coupe and once even tried to race it himself, but he found he liked watching on the sidelines much better. We first met Ed when he brought the Flying Five to Oswego in 1959 with driver Smokey Boutwell. In 1960, he was back with Bud Crotty, and in 1961, he had the late, great Red Sequin as driver. After Ed's fatal accident here in Oswego in 1961, Ed sort of quieted down from the sport. Fortunately, though, he returned to racing in full swing shortly thereafter. They began racing Oswego regularly again in 1965 with a new hot prospect driver by the name of... Anybody remember? It was Bentley, Bentley Warren. In the midst 
in fact, it was Ed who really got Bentley going in supermodified racing. Today, Bentley is in the midst of USAC competition. When Bentley built his own car for Oswego's 1966 season, Ed still came back and put various drivers behind the wheel. Probably the most success was Fulton ace Ronnie Wallace, who took many top place finishes with the five. Other drivers to see action with the Bali five were George Munson, Barry Can. I did not know that. Red Barnhart, and now his new driver for 1972 is Don McLaren. Actually, he's not a new driver for Ed as he's driven several of Bali's machines over the years. Ed has very high praises for Don saying he's tops. The Flying Five for 1972 is the former Nolan Swift Car 10, which Ed bought over the winter. Ed feels with a new car and driver combination, the Five should visit Victory Lane many times this season. I believe they won twice. Ed, along with crew members Dave Grehan, John Dugan, Bill Murray, and Son Thomas, readied the car during the week for the races at Oswego. Ed claims we're forever working on the car. When asked what his greatest moment in racing was, and again, this is 50 years ago in 1951 now, actually, 51 years ago, in 1972, Bali, um, let's see, uh, when asked what his greatest moment in racing was, Ed claimed there were far too many events that highlighted his career. Bali has owned several cars, which have won championships all over the New England states. Ed certainly feels this will be a banner year for the Bali team. He believes he has put together a car driver and race team that, that he is most proud. Look for the Ed Bowie number five with Don McLaren at the wheel to take their share of honors at Oswego this year and for many years to come. They're certainly one of the finest assets in super modified racing. And again, that car just was drop dead gorgeous. Let's talk about the meet new driver section that week. It was Denny Wheeler. One of the new drivers participating here at Oswego Speedway this year comes in the form of Denny Wheeler of Amherst, New Hampshire, pilot of the sleek-looking Purple Roadster number 96. Den and his wife Judy have no children as of yet, but mother is expecting sometime in July. The 27-year-old speedster began his racing career in 1961 when he went racing a jalopy at a track in Brookline, New Hampshire. He drove until the 1965 season when at that time he entered the service for two years. When he returned from duty in the spring of 1968, Den put together a coupe-type super and raced at Star Speedway and Riverland Speedway in New Brunswick. It was with this car that he won his first race ever in the supermodified division, and I believe that it was because it was the last car on the track, but I'm not sure. In 1969, Dennis bought the old Ed Bowie car flying five. That's an interesting tie a car in which Bentley Warren piloted at Oswego in 1965. Den made a few changes on the car and ran it around New England. He first came to Oswego last summer with the car and ran a few shows here at the Big O. Den had always looked forward to coming to Oswego, and once he got on the track itself, he became very impressed. He felt that if he was going to run Oswego regularly in the 1972 season, an all-new machine would have to be built. So over the winter, Dan, along with his crew, consisting of brother Jerry Wheeler, Ray Crichton, and Jilly, better known as Dude, for a nickname, put together the current Roadster. They've installed a big 454 Chevy power plant. The 96 itself is one of the finest-looking Roadsters in the supermodified circuit. They usually leave their home on Friday so they can spend enough time in Oswego to rest up for the night's racing. 
Den states Oswego is the most professional track I've ever seen in my life. Everything is run so efficient. The people at the track are the greatest. Den is hopeful for a very fine year in the super division and would certainly like to start taking some top place finishes. Last week, they arrived at the track with an all-new engine, and after working hard early in the night, Den finished third in his heat and ran very strong in both features before running into mechanical issues. Den is very happy with the progress so far. Denny would someday like to go on into the USAC division. We hope you will find competing in Oswego will be his major stepping stone to the big time. The very best of luck to Den and the entire team with the 96 for a successful year of racing in Oswego and much success for the future. And we move on in the program. Week number four at Oswego Speedway 2. You don't say if you remember... This was a page in the program where they would show candid pictures of drivers and made drivers maybe talking to crew people or whatever to each other. And they would put little captions under them, makeup captions. Some of them were funny. Some of them weren't, but it was always interesting. And then back in that time, there was always one where they would let you make up the caption and then deposit it at the novelty stand or send it to uh, the Speedway Press and then um, they will show some of the answers in a later program with the picture and will uh, choose one caption from all of the ones they got throughout the season. And they would give them a season's pass um, and a lifetime subscription to the Eagle. So here we go. First, you don't say this is a picture of Jack Conley, long hair at all and all with his back to us at a driver's meeting. Um, and apparently, no, I take that back. This was Dom Mucho, I believe, uh, with his back to us. Dom had the longer hair as well. And the caption was, Jack Conley, eat your heart out. Next picture was um, Irish Jack talking to Rapid Ralph Denson. Do you all remember? Those of you who have been around a long time will remember that Rapid Ralph Denson did a better job of totally destroying a race car at the Oswego Speedway in an accident than about anybody else has ever done. And um, here was the caption. says, Jack Murphy to Ralph Denson. Jack, by the way, had started selling fuel by that time. Now, look, Ralph, don't go blaming my fuel for all that smoke. I think 72, incidentally, was Irish Jack's last year of uh, actual competition. He was driving the Shamrock 13 that year. Bottom bottom photo here is um, Dick Jarrett Jr. talking to, um, I don't even know who this was. It might have been Ron Pern, but I'm not sure. It was a driver named Ron, but I don't, um, I don't, it doesn't, it's definitely not Ronnie Wallace. Here we go, says Dick Jarrett Jr. Now, look, Ron, you just keep following Ken Andrews, and I won't guarantee you a thing. (laughs) Never knew where Kenny was going to end up. He was either in the wall or in victory lane a lot of times. Um, And what else we got to read here through the program? Um, The big question coming up next here. Who is the one person that has influenced and helped you the most in your career And again, these are drivers that are being interviewed here. Jim Gray, (laughs) you need an entire eagle to publish all the people who have helped. There are just too many people. I chuckled because I looked up above this uh, big question and saw the the, uh, cartoon, as Ivor sees it, of what happened to Ralph Denson on the backstretch. 
It says, there you go, folks. Ralph just wiped out every mosquito on the backstretch. A ton of smoke out of the 67. Okay. Um, Back to the big question. Who is the one person that has influenced and helped you the most in your career? Daryl Peckham. Anyone I've ever asked connected with racing has always been a big help. Jim Champagne. There is no one person. Kenny Andrews. Nobody. (laughs) Ron Madison. Dick Jarrett Jr. Baldy Baker. Nick Rowe. He's my sidekick. (laughs) Bruce Kraft. Maynard Troyer. Now think about that. Bruce Kraft saying that Maynard Troyer, a modified racer, has helped him, uh, influenced him or helped him more than anybody else. And Maynard would go on to build two of the most, three of the most gorgeous looking supers you've ever seen later on. Jim Winks, my good friends. He doesn't say who they are, though. Sam Krista, myself, you learn by experience. He's got a point. Bob Seelman, old Nellie Ward. Remember that name from the 60s? Kemp to dates. There's been too many of them. Mark Letcher. I really don't know. There's so many of them. Probably my wife because she loves me. Aw. Norm Macrath. I don't think there has been one. There's been many. Don McLaren. So many it's hard to say. Ron Wallace. My wife. John Claffham. My wife. So three politically correct people. In the <laughs> Next page. How keen is your memory? There's a picture of... A coupe number 46 that basically is hung. Looks like it's hung on the wall, except that it's on its way over. And the caption, it was late in September in 1966. And the driver was Billy Bloom. He tangled with the late Bob Smith in a consolation event. and went end over end out of the ballpark in the first turn. This is the same car Ron Wallace ran to a third place finish. in last year's Oswego Modified Sportsman 200. Also, the same night Bloom went over the wall, Wallace went onto the wall with the Wallace 66 while reading the feature. Next caption is a picture of uh, Jack Thomas in his sprint car racing with uh, Ron Lux in the Little Deuce. It was early in 1965 in a consolation event. The late Jack Thomas was driving his car 49 Sprinter. In the Little Deuce was Jungle Jim Gresley, substituting for the late Ron Lux who had broken a couple of ribs at work. Gresley ran about one lap of the feature and pulled off the track. Hmm. Wonder what the deal was there. So that wasn't Lux. It was Jim Gresley in the car. And then testing your memory. This is the trivia section that they used to have in the program. Now the answers are upside down. I'm going to read each question, give you a second to think about it, and then read the answer. Here we go. Question one. He won the 1966 Oswego Track Championship. Who is he? Nolan Swift. Number two, he hails from Lansing, Michigan. Who is he and what car does he drive? Bob Seelman, owner and driver of the 74. By the way, one of the later to have one of the coolest nicknames for a race car ever. Back in the day when nicknames were cool, and they still should be, was Chugaboom. Gotta love that, Chugaboom. That is just such a cool word to say. Chugaboom. All right. Number three. This driver's wife's name is Nora. Who is her husband? Red Barnhart. Number four. Who owned the yellow rear engine car 65 that campaigned here in the mid 60s? Ernie June was the car owner. 
He currently owns the 59 that Jimmy Winks dro- drove. And, of course, you all know about the uh, Ernie and Bob Jim 59, but that back in uh, the mid-1960s, the car was numbered 65. I'm not sure how it got changed, but um, that would be another story for another time. Number five, who was the first driver to ever win the International Classic? Irish Jack Murphy in the Shamrock number six. Question six. In the late 1950s and early 1960s, he drove the well-up kept number five to many feature wins. Who was he and where does he live? Lee Bliss of Rochester, New York. Question seven. He took a wild end-for-end ride with the Steve Joya number nine during the 1967 racing season. Who was it? Bobby Pierce of Fulton, New York. Question number eight. He won his first feature ever at Oswego in the 1966 season, driving the purple car number 83. Who was he? Wayne Landon. Number nine. Name the four Michigan drivers who have won the International Classic. Here we go. Four Michigan drivers who have won the International Classic as of 1972. Who were they? Art Bennett, Dave Paul, Nolan Johncock, and Johnny Benson Sr. And the final question for testing your memory. In 1969, these two drivers finished the feature event in a dead heat. Who were they and what car did they pilot? Jack Greedy in the 10 in the 01. Sorry, Jack Greedy in the 01 and Jim Champagne in the 8. So there's your trivia for the week and finally we read the point standings current point standings as of week number four going into the events of week number four of 1972 the current point standings in first the 93 of baldy baker 283 second the 37 of fred graves 188 third the five don mclaren 183 Fourth, the eight, Jim Champagne, 167. Fifth, the 40 of Norm Macrath, 150. Sixth, the 19 of Jim Cheney, 102. Seventh, the 72 of Doug Sire, 97. Eighth, the 04, Bobby Stelter, 91. Ninth, the 03, Ali Silva, 86. And tenth, the 55 of Ken Andrews with 67. Those are the top 10 in points as of week number four after week three in 1972. I'll just read through the rest of the names. Bernie Grant in 11th, Kemp Dates 12th, Ron Madison 13th, Jeff Bodine 14th, Todd Gibson 15th, Denny Wheeler 16th, Russ Gray 17th, Jimmy Winks 18th, Bruce Kraft 19th, Daryl Peckham was 20th, Harold Brown, remember Harold 21st, Tom Rose, 22nd, Irish Jack Murphy, 23rd, Bill Rouse, 24th, Nick Rowe, 25th, Ray Sand, 26th, Bobby Seelman, 27th, Jim Muldoon, 28th, Jim Gray, 29th, George Boss, 30th, Ron Buckner, 31st, Red Barnhart, 32nd, Paul Baumhauer, 33rd, John Burkholder, 34th, Dom Mucho, 35th, John Clapham, 36th, Bruno Marches in 37th, Mark Letcher, 38th, and Bill Crosby, 
39th. That those are the final point standings or the point standings as of week number four of the 1972 season going into that night's racing. That's the way it was at the fast five ace mile oval on the next 72 season rewind. We will look at what happened on week number four and update you on everything that went on that night and was going on in the Eagle program as of week number four in 1972 until the next 72 season rewind show. I want to thank our sponsors for being a part of this as always they are JNS Paving, Rich Worth, and the good folks there. Of course, um, Sean Cathcart and LaGroff's Pub and Skip's Fish Fry Food Truck. And last but surely not least, Jeff West and the folks at IPC Indy. For all of them, until next time, I'm Tom Baker. Thank you for listening. So long.